Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, have you ever been dumped? Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre's new musical, Bitter Girl, launches this week, and Alison Lawrence, playwright and co-writer, will be joining us in studio to tell us all about it. Then, Tessa Blakely White Cloud will be stopping by to talk about One Just City and some wonderful events and initiatives that are helping Winnipeg's underserved population find the basic necessities that they need. We'll also bring you our coverage of the Fast Pitch 2017 semifinal that happened this past Thursday. We've got interviews from the Fast Pitchers and updates about which charitable organizations made the finals. We'll also speak with Monroe Schum and Janine Jeanson, co-chairs of Five Days for the Homeless Winnipeg, and learn about how it's raising awareness and funds to help homeless youth in Winnipeg. And as always, we'll hear from Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons, Winnipeg Citizen Journalism Project. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Much, much, much to talk about today, Robert. Quite a bit. We have a jam-packed show today. It is. It's good. It's it's, uh, good to get ahead of the game and have a lot of interesting people coming in to talk to us and tell us their tales. Uh, we we had a really cool event earlier this week. We got to attend Fast Pitch 2017, the second annual. Uh, Did you have a good time? Absolutely. Uh, we covered it on the show last year. Uh, it's a really wonderful event. If It's it's maybe a little bit difficult to, to describe, uh, but the gist of it, if you could imagine Dragon's Den, but for the charitable sector here yeah. in Winnipeg, it's similar to that. So presenters have three minutes to share an impactful story about their organization and what they do and what they want to accomplish here in Winnipeg. And then uh, at the semifinal, which we'll bring you highlights of later on in the program, there were three judges that decided which presenters should move on to the final showcase, which takes place in two weeks' time on March 23rd, Thursday. Absolutely. We're going to have coverage of... uh fast pitch the final on the 23rd and we're also going to be having some interviews uh in the coming weeks that are sort of leading up to it uh but before we get to any of that we have a whole whack of show to get to there's uh our mtc's new show bitter girl is launching this coming thursday uh we're going to be speaking with the co-writer of of bitter girl which was originally a broadway show and then became a book and a novel and now it's a musical so uh allison lawrence the co-writer of a bitter girl is going to be on her way in. Tessa Blakey Whitecloud, who uh, we've had on the show, but not in studio. She we played some clips of her from the uh, Winnipeg Foundation's um, Vital Signs Community Conversation. She was a panelist at the Mental Health Community Conversation maybe a month ago or so. Uh, so we're going to have her in studio to tell us all about One Just City. And then we're going to talk to Monroe Schum and Janine Jeanson, uh, co-chairs of Five Days for the Homeless Winnipeg. Uh, some some. Uh, an, an amazing event that's going to be raising awareness uh, for the homeless youth that are in our city. So a whole bunch of show. Before we get to the interview with Allison Lawrence, we're going to play Fats Domino with I Want to Walk You Home right here on River City 360. I want to walk you home. Let me walk you home. I want to walk So good to me. Ooh, I wish I was a lucky guy. I'll go walk you right on down here. I love the way you walk. I love to hear you talk. 
be smart I'm not trying to break your heart But if I ask you for a date Will you tell me that I'm not too late I want to hold your hand Will you let me hold your hand I want to hold your hand Will you let me hold your hand You look so good to me Walking all alone, and why I wanna walk you home, so let me walk you home. Let me walk you home. I want to walk you home. Let me walk you home. You look so good to me. I saw you walking all alone, and why I wanna walk you home, and why I wanna walk you home, and why I wanna walk you home. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by Allison Lawrence. She is a playwright. Uh, she's the co-writer of Bitter Girl, an actor, and just all-around mute talent. We'll call you. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, for, you. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> I, I love that introduction. Well, Thank then, you. You're welcome. We're, we're here to talk about Bitter Girl. Now, yeah. it was written by you and your partners, uh, Mary Frances Moore and mm-hmm. Annabelle Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons. Yes. Uh, back in 1999. So, uh, yeah. So, and then it became a book and now it's becoming a musical. Exactly. So it's been quite the journey over it's, the past almost 20 years. It's been huge. We, we started writing it as a... Uh, basically is an uh, an exercise for ourselves. We wanted to write something, and we weren't sure what we wanted to write. And uh, we we always laugh about it, that we, we thought we were going to write the, you know, the great, serious Canadian drama. Okay. And the scenes we kept bringing in to our weekly writing meetings were all about relationships. And so the story sort of evolved from there. Uh-huh. So yeah. how has it evolved over the past 17 years? Well, it started off, um, we started off at a festival in Toronto um, at Buddies in Bad Times Theatre uh, with a 20-minute version of the play. And it was the three of us, and we performed in it as well. We wrote it for ourselves, and uh, we performed in it with one guy who plays every man. He's every man who's ever done anything bad, good, or indifferent to well, any woman anywhere. Fair. That sounds fair. <laughs> fair and balanced. Exactly. Well, it's Bitter Girl. Okay. <laughs> Um, and we, we, we wrote it. It was a big success. And so we fleshed it out. We made it longer. We mounted it. Um, it had three s- separate sold-out runs in Toronto wow. at various theaters. And then we took it to, um, we did a run in England. We took it and did a showcase performance in New York City in an off-Broadway theater, which was thrilling. Wow. And then we, uh, we turned it into, people kept telling us their stories. Because the, the premise of the story is the first thing you see is three women who think they're happily involved with our every man. Right. Who he has a separate relationship. They, they, none of them know each other. Okay. The three of them, and they all get dumped. In the first five minutes of the play, okay. their, their fairy tale comes crashing, crashing down around them. And so um, when people would come and see the show, they would tell us their stories. People would hang out afterwards at the bar and say, oh, my God, you must know my sister, you know, or my cousin Laura. That happened yeah. to her. And so we started collecting those stories and we made them into a self-help book. 
Um, so hum- that was in, tw- in 2005, right? Yeah. Okay. And so, we did that. So how, what has the response been to the, to the entire sort of uh, the brand of Bitter Girl? Well, I think the fact that it's 20 years later and now it's a musical. And that's still sort relevant? Of, yeah. It kind of, it never goes away, <laughs> unfortunately. People are always getting over getting dumped, male and female. It, it, it happens. What, what has been some of the response of, of men who have come to the play? Or come to the or read the book. We had a we've had a lot of great responses because people people see themselves in these girls, um, and people also women have done the dumping. Women have said, you know, I remember when I said that, you know, the famous line is, "I love you, I'm just not in love with right. you," or "It's not you, you know, it's, it's me." me. Yeah, exactly. Sure. All those when and when they come out on stage, everybody groans because everybody said them, everybody's had them said to them. We had a. Um, a fairly well-known media personality in Toronto came with his wife and uh, confessed to us that he had a girlfriend at one point that he he had been dumped by and he followed her around. He kept, he said it took him about a year before he could stop driving by her house. He would just sort of like oh. slow down as he drove past her house and stare wistfully at it. Wow. And we went, okay, it's not stalking, but it's, yeah, we're really glad that you've gotten past that and gotten remarried. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Allison, what would you say to yourself if you could speak to the 1999 version of you and after you've gone through this whirlwind of New York to London, oh. now to Winnipeg what, what would you say uh, some advice maybe I think the advice is just to, to have faith and keep going because were there times where you lost faith not really lost faith but sometimes um, sometimes we thought that we were putting this project to bed and that it was that we were done with it and what I found really interesting is that that it's come back to us it's always there's and there's great strength in the three of us. There's great strength in the friendship that Annabelle and Mary Frances and I have. We've seen each other through some amazing life changes. And um, we went from not really knowing each other all that well, but admiring each other to, uh, we, f- we always joke about, we finish each other's sentences. We're three people, one brain. Um, Mary Frances and I live on the same street. At one point, all three of us lived on the same street. Cool. And we'd break into each other's houses to borrow milk or, you know, mm-hmm. we, and that I think is the most important thing is that, that love may come and love may go, but um, the people that are really important to you, they, they'll stay with you. It sounds like a very uh, strong sisterhood that you've developed a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, yeah, it really is. So what is the... It, it seems like it's just been a whirlwind for the past 15, 20 years for you guys. What has that been like traveling all over the world and telling this story and having the story evolve and seeing, you know, your characters come to life on so many different stages? It's amazing. And um, like this production, again, is is another step forward. It's, you know, it's on on the big stage. Because it's the musical uh, version. Yeah, now, right? yeah. And, and we've had productions of the musical before, but they've been... Uh, mostly on smaller stages and so this one with and this is a very this is a different cast than the last time we did it and to see other people bring uh, new ideas and um, new ways of looking at it sometimes they'll say things in rehearsal we go that's right I I'd forgotten about that or I I didn't realize that that was so much of a a part of it so it's fascinating to watch what each individual cast member and each director and each designer brings to it. 
you know, um, the set for this one is really, really gorgeous. Um, Charlotte Dean's designed this beautiful set, and I just, I love watching it all happen. So it's taking place on the John Hirsch main stage, mm-hmm. at launching, launching March 16th this coming week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can audiences expect when they show up and, and enjoy Bitter Girl? A really high-powered, fun evening out. It's These women are laughing at themselves as much. There's no, there's, there's not a lot of self-pity. There's not a lot of uh, great tragedy. It's about, it's about getting up, getting over, and moving on, and there's some fantastic music and some really terrific actors on stage. Fantastic. So this is taking place Thursday, March 16th is opening night at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. There are still tickets available. I think so, but I think it's going pretty fast. We can go to royalmtc.ca for tickets. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what would you say to Winnipeggers who have never been to a, uh, um, a musical before that are going to come to this for the first time and, 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 uh, and experience it? I think I'm biased, but I think this is the perfect introduction because this is uh, the music that we've used is all girl group music from oh, cool. the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Very nice. And we go right from um, I Hear a Symphony and um, uh, He's a Rebel right through to, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's about getting over getting dumped. We've got to have I Will Survive in there somewhere. Oh, so it's fantastic music and uh, an amazing four piece band, all female. Very cool. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll play I Will Survive on the show coming up in celebration of Bitter Girl, which is opening Thursday, March 16th at 8 p.m. Go to royalmtc.ca for more information. Um, Yeah. Allison Lawrence, thank you very much for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Good luck with this run and good luck in the future. Thanks so much.
Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. And we're now joined in studio by Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud. She's the fund developer of One Just City. Tessa, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So for our listeners who haven't heard of your organization, just give us the rundown of uh, who you guys are, what you guys do. So One Just City, we actively love the underloved. So we're really lucky to do that through four amazing member charities. And those are Oak Table, North End Stella Community Ministry, West Broadway Community Services, and St. Matthews, Maryland uh, Community Ministry. So we're in the West End, West Broadway neighborhood, Osborne Village, and the North End, really trying to build and be community uh, with people that just don't have that for whatever reason those barriers might be. So we have a gentleman who comes in and uh, his name is Michael and he'll he'll explain to you like all the different programs and services but how he's really not there for any of that and what he comes in for is hugs. Uh, and then we also have people that come in and we see them maybe for a couple weeks and we help them find the right resources and then they get back on their feet and then we never see them again. So it's about being there for that core population that for whatever reason doesn't have that community or family to turn to if we weren't there to build it with them but then also being there in an emergency when someone needs uh, you know a warm lunch and someone needs socks and someone needs a place to sleep and someone needs just those little things that we might take for granted right. it, you hear the cliche falling through the cracks a little bit this seems like something that uh, really helps to remedy that situation per se yeah and it's it's not just filling in the cracks of what is missing in terms of material, but it's also like filling in the cracks of what is broken in someone's life. So filling in the cracks of being told that you are worthy of love and not having that come with, and now give me something. Um, right. So just like you're here, we love you, we appreciate you. Um, you know, what are you here looking for? Do you want to eat and not be spoken to? Because we'll respect that. Or do you want to come and um, access food, but also meet new people and build your volunteer skills and look at ways that you can give back and really build people up. So one of the things that I think is amazing um, at all of our sites, but the story I'll tell you is from West Broadway Community Services, is a gentleman who it took him like eight years to be able to show up regularly for a volunteer shift. Uh, but he had been living with homelessness since he was about eight years old. Oh my God. And what happens often is we start to write people off. Like at a certain age, we're like, well, you should just have your stuff together. Um, but if you've been struggling that chronically with homelessness, how are you supposed to have your stuff together? Because now magically you're 20 right. or now you're magically you're 40. Uh, and so this individual started volunteering. It was like, hey, show up between nine and three for an hour. And now he shows up regularly on time for one hour and he gives tours of the shower that he uses because he lives in a rooming house. And so like if I gave you a tour of that shower, I'd be like, here's a shower. But he's stoked. Um, and other places might have turned him away because he didn't have volunteer skills to bring. He was a volunteer who we had to build the skills up of. Right. And I think it's that's a big part of our work. It seems like baby steps in a lot of ways for people who haven't been properly educated or built up with love growing up. And they need sort of to start from scratch almost, it sounds like. And they need someone to believe in them because they don't right now. Right. Um, one of our projects, thanks to the Thomas Sill Foundation, is our community capacity builder. And she will tell you. I said, what do you actually think your job description is? Like, don't, t don't read it to me. Just tell me. And she's like, well, really? Uh, her name's Laura. She's I, I believe in people enough that they can like vibe off of it until they believe in themselves. Right. Wow, that's amazing. So what, what's the day-to-day -day kind of operations for you and everyone working at One Just City? Like, or I would imagine you're seeing some pretty heavy things day in and day out. So what, what does that do and how does that take a toll on you at all? Or? It for sure takes a toll. And one of the things that I think we do really well is also be a community in terms of who our volunteers are. And, and we're very low staff. So uh, One Just City has one staff and then each of our sites has one, sometimes one and a half staff. So we're a very small organization administratively. Um, but, you know, at Oak Table, for example, 
people, they start the day uh, with just their volunteers in the space. They do a check-in and they say, and now we let go of everything going on in our day uh, so that we can be here for people whose days might be struggle. And then at the end, they bring it back together and they debrief and they talk it through. So we're also about building up that uh, side of our and making sure that our volunteers, because they, they run us. Right. Um, we run on over 30,000 volunteer hours every, wow. every year. And so that's five full-time staff equivalent. And without people volunteering all the time, our doors would close tomorrow. And so we try to make sure that our volunteers are there for each other. For sure, yeah. Um, you mentioned sort of socks and other undergarments and things. G- give me an example of some of the things that people don't normally think of that that others might need uh, when it comes to coming off the streets and just getting a warm sleeper, bra and panties or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, totally. And so I think it's fitting that we're talking this Sunday morning because actually this afternoon we'll be at the Forks promoting our brunch for bras. Very cool. And we're doing that on April 9th. It's going to be a really fun event with uh, Winnipeg Comedy Festival. We have an amazing MC in Laura Ray. And so it's a Winnipeg's uh, Comedy Festival sponsored comedy brunch. But all of the funds raised are going to go to help women not just like pick a bra from a bin, but instead actually get to go have the dignity of shopping for one. So women who leave domestic violence for a lot of reasons that have to do with controlling partners tend to leave at night and tend to leave in their pajamas. And quickly. And quickly. Yeah, like packing is not possible. And wearing a bra to bed when somebody's very observant of all of your moves might not also be possible. So one of the women on our committee, for example, um, was in a shelter this summer. And of the 27 women there, two had bras. And so if you think about trying to regain independence and go for job interviews and that struggle and, and, and we kept on hearing stories like this and another one of our women uh, due to chronic illness, uh, you know, she, she got a certain type of cancer that really plays with your weight and now none of her clothes fit. And again, like that trying to get healthy enough to maybe think about working again, but doesn't have clothes that are professional and the first step in that can be a bra. Mm-hmm. So brunch for bras is going to be really fun and you can find a bunch of people wearing wedding dresses at the Forks this oh uh, afternoon to be promoting that and you can buy tickets or support tickets. But what's going to happen is Sussoir Lingerie is on board and they're actually going to let women come in with a gift card from Wonja City. And we're going to open this up to all service providers in Winnipeg. So this isn't just about us. We want everyone to have access to the right support. So uh, they'll get to go to the store and shop uh, $50 at cost. So that ends up being like 300 retail um, to be able to buy whatever they need. And so Soir is donating the rest of those costs. So it's going to be an amazing event on April 9th, but we're promoting it today. And just, yeah, like a bra, like we don't think about it. Um, Probably most men don't think about it anyways, but for sure we might not think about that barrier. And, and what it means in terms of how you're looked at and how you're treated as a woman when you're going into job interviews or even that for some picking through a bin, like you're never going to find what fits. Yeah. So that's something small, um, uh, but huge. For sure. <laughs> it seems very valuable to be sort of um, on the ground level and seeing exactly what people need because you don't normally think of some of these things. But g- give me, uh, it's, it's, you've talked about the, the gentleman that is now volunteering. Give me some more um, su- success stories that One Just City has helped to... Uh, bring forth yeah so I think one of the success stories that uh, sticks to mind for me with just a warm sleep uh, which of course is our newest initiative so we just started in January uh, being open overnight at Augustine United Church uh, with one just city volunteers to have people come and have a warm sleep and one of the folks that's accessing that space um, is uh, named Andy and he actually is working full-time so it's being able to come to just a warm sleep uh, and 
and actually sleep well and then go to work has really moved him out of crisis and into planning. And so he's looking for to get an apartment for April 1st. Um, he's been saving his money. He's been having those conversations, figuring out how to get it's a credit problem that is blocking him from getting an apartment. Right. So looking at how do I reestablish my credit and being able to have those conversations in a supportive environment. And so he's looking to moving out of just a warm sleep into housing. And I think that that's a, a really good example of a success story that, you know, sometimes it is just one little lift, or in this case, several months of actually getting to sleep warm, which is a huge lift, um, because of the people that donated and made that possible for us to keep yeah. those doors open. And I think that's a really good example of a success story. Another one out of St. Matthew's, Maryland Community Ministry, we had a woman um, who was coming regularly and... Uh, and we knew and we saw signs that she was experiencing domestic violence. And we wanted her to feel safe in our space before we started asking about what was going on. And so we kept on just saying, you know, I'll, I'll call her Lynn for the purpose of the story. Uh, Lynn, you know, you're welcome here. Um, Lynn, we're really happy to see you. Uh, Lynn, you know, uh, how are you today? And, and just kept on building that relationship. And uh, eventually Lynn said, you know, it feels really weird to be here and I can't put my finger on it. And our staff said, well, what do you mean? And she started to elaborate, you know, well, I just I just feel like nobody wants anything from me here. They just are happy I'm around. And I just and I she wasn't used to that growing and up. And she wasn't used to that in her relationship. Um, and so eventually our staff said, like, I think, Lynn, like, I think you just are saying you feel respected. And uh, and what if you felt respected other places? And Lynn said, well, well, I don't right now. And so um, Lynn's partner, who was uh, at that time being physically abusive as well as emotionally, uh, Lynn left. And we didn't see Lynn for a while, which was actually really nerve wracking. But about six months later, Lynn came back and said, can you help me now help my daughter leave? Because she's picked partners like I picked partners. Wow. And so there we can see that like one relationship ripples into the relationships in that person's life. And she has a granddaughter that's four. And so now we see an intergenerational switch. That's incredible. Um, to demanding that respect just because somebody was in our space at St. Matthew's and gave that woman that respect. Right. And, and so understanding what respect feels like probably maybe for the first time. Yeah. Or for the first time in a long time, at least. Totally. And I know, you know, it's uh, coming from my background working in mental health. Like we do replicate what our parents teach us. And uh, lots of communities struggle with domestic violence. And, and lots of women end up in domestically violent relationships even when it wasn't what their family of origins were like. So it's, it's a really, I think that's a huge success story. And we didn't really recognize within One Just City actually until a grant asked us what we do around domestic violence. And then I asked our four member charities and collectively we help 60 women leave a year. Jeez. But we never tracked it. That wasn't really part of the mandate originally, but it's no, just kind of what yeah. you had to pivot and, so, and respond to. Totally. And so out of that, it was, uh, it was okay, well, what are the needs of these women then that we're not meeting now that we've recognized there's this core group? And, and that was another reason why we're going to be celebrating the Brunch for Bras today and why people should come out. Well, there's Brunch for Bras today. There's Just a Warm Sleep happening now. Um, you can find all this information on onejustcity.ca, but for people who want to maybe donate or want to volunteer their time or want to help out with your fantastic organization, how can they uh, get involved? Yeah. So they can, again, check out that website. Uh, they can join us at the brunch on April 9th if they want. Uh, they can be in touch with me on social media. We're one, the number. So don't spell it out. And then just city uh, on all social media platforms. But uh, they also can drop into one of our four member charities. And you can find them on the About Us page and connect with us there. And then we also have, uh, we're working with Love Local on the March 18th uh, event where you get to sample some local eats and help us feed some local hungry tummies. And then uh, we're also working with uh, 
the Alt Hotel on an upcoming Women's Wellness Weekend. And so there's lots going on that to help connect with us in terms of events. And of course, we're always looking for volunteers. And I think so many people in our city just have like amazing skills. And we like working with them to figure out what's best for them. So mm. we have someone right now doing food waste reduction because like that's their passion. But they wanted to be able to volunteer with us. And they're like, but this is what I'm really into. So they're doing food waste reduction and trying to divert food from landfills to soup kitchens wow. and support us in getting that food. Very cool. And so, you know, we'll work with you to figure out your best fit. No matter us. what your skills are, you can help out in Winnipeg anywhere, but specifically at One Just City. Thank you very much, Tessa Blakey White Cloud. She is the fund developer at One Just City. Appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thank you, Tessa. Coming up after the break, we'll have our coverage of the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch 2017. So the semifinal just took place a couple of days ago, and we'll hear from a few of the participants about their three-minute fast pitches and how their experience has been thus far. Before we get to that, here are the Ray Conniff singers with My Melody of Love, right here on River City 360. I'm looking for a place to go so I can be all alone. So that when the music plays, I don't go back to the days when love was you and me.
welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, Robert. You and I were lucky enough to attend uh, Fast Pitch 2017 semifinal at the Park Theater on Thursday. Uh, we got our first look at the 15 presenters that made up this year's group. That's right. And although the top 10 was chosen at the end of the night for the final on March 23rd, all 15 presenters did incredibly well. They did a fantastic job. As the facilitators, David McLeod and Kate Friesen, mentioned on a previous episode of RC360 a couple of weeks ago, honing an entire organization's history and message, getting that down to three minutes is not an easy task. Yeah, no kidding. I don't envy the performers because it's not an easy job to sort of uh, condense your entire organization's message and history and and everything that you do into a three-minute pitch um, but they they pulled it off all, all 15 groups did a fantastic job as you mentioned last night it was really cool to hear and learn about um, some of the nonprofits that I didn't know too much about that are doing wonderful work in Winnipeg so that was really uh, a pleasure for on 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 our behalf to to get to sit in and experience that um, we spoke with a few of the presenters after they finished their pitches and almost everyone walked away from the experience having really enjoyed themselves here's a couple of the highlights from the presenters from fast pitch 2017's semi-final my name is Chelsea Jallo and I'm the volunteer co-chair of the board of directors at Sunshine House. It's so inspiring to hear about the broad range of things that people are so invested in, so passionate about and they're really committed to making a difference. Well, I've been so fortunate to work with Alana Keith and Doug Darling, who have just been fantastic coaches. Um, they've really helped me in terms of constructing the, the script of the fast pitch. They had great feedback about that. And also, they've just given me a lot of techniques about how to ramp up the, the passion without necessarily ramping up the nerves or the speed. Um, they've given me a lot of advice about pacing and also just the structure of the pitch itself. What are the important parts to emphasize and how can I um, lean it down so that there's not information that kind of becomes too cumbersome. Jeff Powell, Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba. Everyone's been talking about how impressed we are with the growth that people have done and how much people stepped up their game today and it was, um, it was exciting to be a part of. I mean one of the things we don't always do well in sport is um, kind of make the case for ourselves. I think we've always traditionally had this expectation that it should be there and um, it's been great for us to learn about how to speak about what we do in a compelling and meaningful way. Well, I think one of the most interesting things is just the diversity of good work that is going on in the city. I mean, I, I wasn't familiar with half of these organizations before we started, and I just, I've been so impressed with the work that other people are doing to make Winnipeg a better place, and I think that people would be really um, excited and feel great about their city if they came to, to see some of these. Jack Yonison, General Manager, West End Cultural Center. People don't realize that that we do things outside of just putting on live music shows. Um, it's important because we are very invested in our community. Uh, the West End is is a an area that's lacking in a lot of resources that suburbs have, and a lot of the the people that live in that area, in, they just don't have the access to uh, to arts like the rest of us do. And, uh, you know, the mission of the West End Cultural Center is to provide that access to everybody and to facilitate that for everybody. Um, the West End Cultural Center is somewhere that provides that, that spark, that initial uh, connection to this creative side to, to arts that is such an enriching and fulfilling thing. 
My name is Angela McCoggan and I am the Executive Director at SCOPE. SCOPE is, we provide employment for people living with mental health issues through our environmentally friendly social enterprise business ventures. I've seen the difference it makes for people to, to have a sense of belonging. And what is the first thing someone asks when you meet them? What do you do for a living? And to be able to answer that question and be part of a community and part of um, a sense of belonging, it's important. And, it, and it's what I think it's the difference between how someone thrives with their mental health issue and lives through it and for someone who doesn't. This has been such a wonderful experience. Um, just the camaraderie that's been created with all the organizations that are participating. We're all rooting for each other. It's such a great professional development opportunity. And just to get to know about some of the organizations that I, even in the nonprofit world, did not know existed. Fast Pitch 2017 culminates on March 23rd for the final at the Metropolitan Entertainment Centre, a.k.a. The Met, in downtown Winnipeg. If you'd like to purchase tickets or if you'd like additional information on the presenters, or coaches, or Fast Pitch in general, you can visit the Fast Pitch website. The address is fastpitchwinnipeg.org. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have more coverage of Fast Pitch 2017, so be sure to stay tuned to River City 360 for more of that. Coming up after the break, Monroe Schumann, Janine Jeanson joined us earlier in the week to talk about Five Days for the Homeless, which is taking place this week, March 13th to 17th. But before we get to that, here's Hanging Together by The Sugar Shop, right here on River City 360. Yeah. 
Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning and I am now joined by Monroe Schum and Janine Jeanson. They are the co-chairs of Five Days for the Homeless at the University of Manitoba. Monroe, Janine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. Tell us what the event is about. What is Five Days for the Homeless? Five Days for the Homeless is a is a charity through the University of Manitoba and what we do is we raise both money and awareness for homelessness but specifically youth homelessness in Winnipeg and all the money donated and any um, supplies that we collect goes to Ray, the resource assistance for youth. Why did you decide to hold this event? Well, it's uh, it's a CSA, our Commerce Students Association. It is a position within that association, and so it's been happening for the last how many years? At the University of Manitoba, ten years, but uh, nationally, it's an entire national campaign as well. It's been going on for many years. It started in the in Alberta, I believe, at U of A. So, just since grown and grown and eventually made it to U of M, and now we're just all happy to get involved and help it grow a little further. Okay, so it's sort of a national event that benefits different charities locally. So the U of A event would support a charity in Alberta. Here it supports resource assistance for youth. Yeah, it supports a homeless charity everywhere. But here it is, yeah, it's specifically focused on youth homelessness because it is at the university. And when we have our six sleepers that sleep outside the university, they can identify with that youth homelessness more. And that's why it's specifically geared towards homeless youth. With Five Days for the Homeless benefiting a local charity, is it the same charity every year? Does it rotate among different charities or how exactly, what's the kind of the process of deciding which charity to support? So over the years we've uh, established a very good relationship with Ray and so every year we go back to Ray because they do great things with the money and we love providing for them. They're great people over there. So the people who are taking part and participating in this event, they're sleeping outside for five days. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's completely correct. They're not allowed to have their phone, their wallet, their ID, money, absolutely nothing. They're living like honest homeless people for a week. They can only eat or drink what's donated to them. Wow. And it's not like a one night sort of thing. Like five days is actually a long time when you really think about it. Yeah, it's, it's very long and uh, it's, it's pretty admirable that there are people who do this and they are all incredibly passionate about it. Our sleepers this year are a fantastic group of people and they are very, very passionate and very interested in raising this awareness and raising money for homelessness. It's great. What is the goal of Five Days for the Homeless here locally? What are you hoping to accomplish with this event? So we do have a monetary goal of trying to raise $30,000, but uh, I believe Janine mentioned a little earlier that it's not just about raising money. It's about raising awareness that there is a big problem, especially here in Winnipeg, with homelessness and especially homeless youth. So creating the awareness of that problem is the first step to helping end it, and that's a big part of the campaign. What are ways in which students can participate? Can anyone register to be a sleeper or are there other ways in which students can get involved? Anyone can register to be a sleeper. We actually prefer to have people from different faculties around campus because it just raises that awareness that much more. Then there are little ways to get involved as well. Uh, You can come pick up a donation box and collect funds for half an hour if that's what you really wanted to do. Or you could even stop by with a cup of coffee for some of the sleepers. It's, you know, big or little, everything makes a difference. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the, the main thing that we were thinking this year is that if all the little things add up, it turns into a really big thing. If everybody donated $1 on campus, that's $40,000 raised. 
So if people want to get involved or if they want to get more information on Five Days for the Homeless, where can they go to get more information? Facebook and Instagram are two of our biggest ones. They are constantly updated with the events that we have. During the week of Five Days, if you do want to get involved, just stop by the um, Commerce Students Association office in Asper, which is located on what room? 144, the Drake Center. And then, yeah, there's no, you don't have to sign up to be a volunteer. Anybody can come and like I said, pick up a donation box and, and start collecting. And to elaborate on that, uh, you can also visit the Five Days of the Homeless website and find the University of Manitoba page. On there, you can also donate, read more about what Ray does, read more about what the, or the campaign at large does, sort of see history. There's a bunch of things you can see on there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Monroe and Janine, and best of luck with Five Days for the Homeless. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Five Days for the Homeless takes place this week, March 13th to 17th on the University of Manitoba campus. And as Monroe and Janine mentioned, you can get more information by visiting five days, the letter, or sorry, the number five days.ca slash Winnipeg. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio. He's going to tell us about what's happening this week in Winnipeg through the lens of CNC Community News Commons. But first, here's Bert Kampfert with L-O-V-E love right here on River City 360. Back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of Community News Commons, which is Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. Noah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So we have you on the show to talk about Winnipeg, but in a different sort of a way, because it's through the lens of the citizen journalists that write for CNC. Now, mm-hmm. citizen journalists can be you or me or anyone that wants to write a story about their community, um, but just give our listeners a little breakdown of, of the types of things that they can find on CNC. Well, there's you know p- pretty much a, a whole range of stories. The, the type of stories you can find on uh, communitynewscommons.org are about 
as varied as the people who write for CNC. Um, you know, people who do stories uh, come from all walks of life, from different neighborhoods uh, of Winnipeg, and um, they basically do stories about all the different things that they see and do in town here. And so they look at a subject or look at a, a something that's happening, and um, they say, hey, that's pretty cool. I think I'm going to write a story. And so then they do that, and I help them do it. The best part about CNC for me is logging on and seeing you, you never know what you're going to get. I've used the old uh, Forrest Gump joke about it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So give our, give our listeners a little taste of what uh, what they're going to find this week on well, CNC. Well, this week my favorite uh, or one of my favorite stories I would say is by Ann Haw about um, pin collecting that is going to happen over at the Canada Games this oh, coming yeah, summer yeah. in uh, in July. Canada Games, 50th anniversary of the Canada Games is here. And, um, of course, with many sporting events, uh, pin collecting is a big deal, especially, say, at the Briar. People go know? crazy for it, pin, it, pin I tell you, I was at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, and the pin collecting was phenomenal. Yeah. And so there is a Winnipeg Pin Collectors Club. Uh, I didn't know that, but there Nor is. And there's about 100-plus members. They even have uh, corporate memberships um, as far afield as uh, the United States, Germany, Belgium, Denmark, and the UK. Wow. So it's a big, it's a big effort, and... Um, you, you know, uh, the president, actually, the current pin collector's president, Ron Boyley, he was in charge of the Pan Am Games uh, pin trading booth back in 1999. So he's and well experienced. So he knows his ready. pins. And he, knows <laughs> he knows his pins. And, um, and uh, now, of course, those pins that you would have collected back in 1999 at the Canada uh, or at the um, uh, Pan Am Games here in Winnipeg, they're not going to be worth very much, I don't think. Uh, if you had the whole set, though, maybe? Or, like, how do well, pins work? Well, it might be. But, you know, they, a lot of the pins sort of um, uh, don't have, uh, uh, you know, they don't accelerate in value that much. Right. Um, however, you know, the just the act of trading pins um, and the relationships that you make when you do that are priceless. Yeah, and that's that. really, I mean, I think a lot of people back in 99 uh, for the Pan Am Games noticed that. And, um, and you know, you give a pin for to an athlete for a great performance or to a friend from another province or from another country, uh, somebody that you just met. Uh, there's a company called Lori Artists Limited, and they're known as the Pin People. They will be producing 150,000 of the steel-based pins with gold or nickel plating that will be um, featured at the Canada Games this summer. There's going to be about 60 to 75 different designs. Wow. Uh, you can look at the Ann Haas story. It's called Pin One On, and she's got a lot of those um, pins, uh, or at least uh, several examples of those pins cool. that will be featured, as well as some pins that have um, some amazing pins from previous uh, Canada Games, uh, such as in Prince George. And, and um, there was a fascinating pin that Team Nunavut had back in 2015. <laughs> so it really is... Um, um, you know, the, uh, it's a great activity. It's a really interesting story. And um, she does mention that anyone with a 1927 Gold Heart Briar pin can uh, pretty well name a price for that one wow. because that's a rare thing. There was only 12 made and they're worth thousands of dollars. Jeez. So if any of our listeners have that pin, it's a Gold Briar pin from 1927. Uh, you oh. might want to go to the Canada Summer Games pin trading booth, which is going to be over at Festival Central, and uh, that's where people are going to be trading pins, and uh, there'll be trading pins all over the place. It's a great, a great activity during a sporting event. So. Go check the jewelry boxes, check <laughs> yes, things out. Exactly. I would imagine with the advent of the internet since the Pan Am Games, like pin collecting has just become this 
this entity, this thing that so many people oh, yeah. do and share and take photos of their pins oh, yeah. and talk about, hey, do you have this one? I can trade you for that one. Yeah, yeah. People it's a, love it. it. It should be a lot of fun. So it's another great story in the series that we're offering on the Canada Games. Um, uh, Community News Commons has uh, partnered with Canada Games to try and get our citizen reporters involved as well as their writers. Very and cool. And we're trying to put as many stories on about the upcoming uh, celebration. It's um, going to be 50th anniversary. It's a big deal. Yeah, no kidding. I'm looking forward to some of the uh, highlights from CNC because I, I understand a lot of citizen reporters are going to be on location and, and reporting on the games themselves so it'll be cool exactly. to cool to read for sure and just one last story i wanted to mention sure. uh, uh that would be i think of, of um interest to our listeners is a is a great little story on communitynewscommons.org that looks at quality care for seniors in nursing homes uh could potentially be at risk if we start privatizing them and um oh, there's an article is there a discussion to do that well there is an art i mean there is that, that does happen a lot in canada um there was uh, something that prompted this article was that late last year there was a large trans uh, national insurance company that um announced its intention to purchase a majority interest in Retirement Concepts, which is a Canadian for-profit nursing home chain. And so there are for-profit nursing homes. The, the, the story looks at uh, what happens when we begin to privatize uh, nursing care, nursing care homes mm-hmm. uh, more, and uh, the, not to get into any great details. The story gets into very good detail. It's a good read. Um, but the evidence, um, at least from the story, uh, is clear that uh, large-scale private equity investments in nursing home facilities um, too often can jeopardize the quality of care yeah. and can put seniors' health at risk. So it is a um, it, it's a debate. It's a very interesting story, and I think uh, uh, you might want to take a look at it on communitynewscommons.org. It's called Quality Care for Seniors in Nursing Homes at Risk. And so who was that authored by? Uh, actually, it's a couple of uh, doctors that uh, wrote that piece, uh, and they are they have uh, specialties in uh, community geriatrics. So, wow. um, you never know Margaret, what you're... Uh, Dr. Margaret McGregor and Dr. Lisa Ronald. You never know what you're gonna get on CNC <laughs> from pin collecting to <laughs> geriatrics. It's from A to Z on CNC. Exactly. <laughs> That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us this week. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all of those things and more on our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love to hear your feedback about the program. If you'd like to give us your thoughts on what you heard in this week's show, if you'd like to request a song, or if there's a topic that you'd like for us to cover on a future show, 
feel free to give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you want to get a hold of us via Facebook or Twitter, you can do so as well by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter or RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Not for you.